0: Listener. Everyone says, oh, the tech is just going to keep getting better and better, but in, in what ways and how rapid can we expect that change to be, do you reckon?
1: It is exciting, maybe a little daunting for some. The future has arrived and most of us are wondering, are we just scratching the surface here when it comes to tech and EV potential? And what would the whole driving experience in the future be like?
2: The kids still want connectivity, I'm conscious of range
0: and battery life, so how different is the EV driving experience going to be with all the future tech in the pipeline? We are an innovative, curious bunch of early adopters here in Australia, but probably not quite ready for that Jetsons level tech life, yet?
1: Just yet. Hi everybody, Greg Rust and Nadine Armstrong with you for another edition of What's Under the Bonnet. Can we begin? on this Boxing Day when we're releasing this episode by saying we hope you had a fabulous Christmas I'm in the Aussie heat, the heat down under, and where do we find Nadine Armstrong? On the other side of the planet. Merry Christmas to you.
0: Yeah, I bet we'll be wearing very different things, (laughs) (laughs) but you can guarantee we've both got full bellies.
1: Now, if you haven't stopped by and taken in the podcast before, welcome. It is a collaboration between carsales.com.au and the team here at Listener. A big thanks to our regular followers for the likes, shares, feedback, and reviews. Keep them coming. we Really appreciate that. We're a few episodes in now and absolutely loving it and we're pleased you are too. Now, coming up in this edition, we're going to meet an ev who has stepped out of a Mini Cooper S Turbo, big move, into a BMW iX3 and it sounds like there is no turning back.
0: Yeah, what a move. There's a lot of news around this month from EV people, movers to utes and our colleague Johnny Mahoney has been checking out some cool Audis. Also, we've got Ben Wilkes from Cupra, Australia. He was on our sister pod, The Showroom, recently. Cupra is part of the larger Volkswagen group, and they're making big inroads here.
1: They sure are. Volvo uh, were in the news recently. We spoke about it not too long ago here on the pod, making a big commitment. And the Aussie arm, if you will, has gone a step further than what's actually been proposed at headquarters in Europe, reducing the target even more, something that, Kind of in automotive terms, is is literally just around the corner. Stephen Connor is the MD from Volvo Cars Australia, and he's been good enough to come into the studio and to talk about it. Welcome to What's Under the Bonnet.
3: Thank you, guys. Thank you for having me. 2026.
1: That doesn't seem that far away, does it?
3: 2030 is. It doesn't seem that far away. When the global announcement comes out, and we talk about 2030, really, that's eight years. And in, in product life cycle, it's what three cars, four cars, maybe. So 2030 doesn't seem that that big. So when we hatched the plan internally to go 2026, you can kind of imagine both the excitement and also the nervousness of going, well, actually, we were quite happy with an eight-year time cycle and now we're going four years. So uh, really exciting, really pleased to be doing it.
0: So this timeline is even more aggressive than Europe, as we said. So why is that? Why did you make that choice? The
3: market for electric vehicles has been really interesting here in Australia. You know, if you asked me this question two years ago, I said that we're not ready for it for another eight years. So 2030 seemed about right. What's happened in this marketplace, which is really interesting, the pace speed speed has, has gone really quickly in the last couple of years, even the last 18 months. Now, our market, if you look at all the other markets around the world, like Norway, they're, they're going quickly because of incentives from the government. Our consumers here are actually voting with their own feet in their own pocket. They're not waiting for the incentives for the government. They're actually saying, you know, I'd love the technology and I really want to go now. So pace from our consumers has really led to this drive. The other point I'd like to say as well is it's really interesting. You know, we're a human-centric company. 2040 forty will be carbon neutral across the entire business. So when we talk about things like this, it's really hard to be authentic when you don't believe in the strategy. And what I mean by that, it's easy to turn around and say globally, why don't we wait till 2030? But actually on a local level, we really believe that being carbon neutral is the right thing to do. We've been part of the problem for a long, long time, and now we want to be part of the solution. So why wouldn't we go early when we see the opportunity? Our consumers are ready for it. Our product cycle is absolutely ready for it. So, you know, it's really exciting to be able to do that. And I think that gives us authenticity on a local level, something that some of other Uh, say car manufacturers or some of the other businesses can't do they can't be that authentic because they're still holding on to diesel they're still holding on to co2 emissions and i really like the idea of being authentic
1: does the aussie sort of first and early adoption of tech not even just in in car terms or automotive terms beyond that sphere was that a factor in the decision too because we typically gravitate to things like this don't we
3: yeah, we do. Uh, and I think, that, like I said, going back to the speed and the pace with the Australian consumers, you know, they love the technology. But I have to say, you know, I've driven now an EV car for the last, more or less, last 12 months. I think once you've driven that technology, you get everything with it. You don't want to go back. That's the problem. So people are now really, they they love it. They love the quietness. They love the speed. You know, we don't talk about the speed, but our cars will do 0 to 100 in something like 4.7 seconds. And that's, you know... That's exciting. I think what the EV world is actually doing, it's bringing it fun back into driving again. You know, driving used to be a mundane thing, you know, go to, from A to B. Now it's fun. It's really fun in an EV car. And I think the Australian consumer is really, really loving that. So given that and, and the ability with product, why wouldn't we go early? And, and again, it gives us the authenticity that, you know, I think we stand by as people. We, we've got to be authentic in what we do.
0: I love that you brought up that 0 to 100 time because typically it's not something that Volvo buyers would be spruiking the, the, uh, the pace and, and the performance. But tell us what your customers have, have thought about this move and, and also the dealers. How have they reacted to the news about this timeline? You know,
3: there's, there's a couple of points to that. And we don't talk about 0 to 100 in 4.7 seconds. That's a byproduct of, of how great the cars really are. You know, we talk about our safety because that's our core values. And, and again, we're not highlighting the fact that people should buy these cars to to go as quickly as they can. That's not the point. It's just when you've got two twin engines, uh, whatever, you've got the power output. I think there's two points about your question, Nadine. One, one is, you know, consumers love the technology and are ready for it. But we've got to really arm ourselves up as a business to help them in terms of infrastructure, you know, and everything else. So we've got to make it easy for our consumers. Having the strategy is one thing. But we've then got to then put our best foot forward in making life as easy as possible for it. And I'll talk to you about technology that's coming very, very shortly. Our dealers are are, are very nervous about the future because obviously we're moving away from the traditional, you know, you buy a car, you have it serviced every year. They rely heavily on the after-sales market as well. So obviously servicing, parts, sales and everything else to go with it. And again, we've really got to help our dealers and retailers move to this new world. It's coming so it doesn't matter whether it's 2026 or it's 2030, we're not designing or building any more ICE cars. So that's it for us as a company. So whatever happens, it's, it's coming. But we have to educate them into the way we do things. The other thing I'd like to say is with our retailers as well is that you know they've got to move forward with what the consumer wants as opposed to what we want as an industry. And what I mean by that is that they've got to start to pay their staff based on consumer experience as opposed to the old-fashioned way of doing things, which is, You know, we give them a a poor basic salary. We give them 10% based on margin. And, you know, it's all based on volume. It can't be like that anymore. So, yes, they're excited. Yes, they're nervous. But obviously, we've got to help both our consumers with the future. And we've also got to help our retailers with the future as well. And it is a journey. We're We're not there yet. Thank God we've got three and a half, four years to go. And we've got time to get it right.
1: I'm glad you brought up the notion of future tech, which we'll get to in a minute. Can we just touch on on infrastructure?
3: Again, there's several parts to that question. We do need the government to help and support. But I've joined the board of the FCAI to make sure that I have a voice to help guide that going forward. But what I have to say is this. It's not up to us to push the government. The government will come along this journey in, in different levels and different speeds. We as Volvo, we've got to help the consumers. So what we've got to do is help the infrastructure along. And what I mean by that is a couple of things. The first thing we're going to do during 2023, we're going to make sure every one of our retailers has a fast charger, which is available for all of our consumers. So we've got 35 outlets throughout the whole of Australia. So we're going to make sure that whatever happens, our customers have the ability to at least go to one of our retailers. They can put in a fast charger, give them 20 to 40 minutes charge, have a free coffee, have some FICA while they're waiting, maybe free Wi-Fi, whatever, then that's the things we need to do. We also, as, as Volvo, we need to make sure that we have partnerships, a bit like the Tesla star. We need to make sure that we have partnerships with people and with other businesses to make sure that we can support the infrastructure as well. That added with the government and what they're doing, I think New South Wales have pledged over $600 million in the next four years for infrastructure. It's coming It is absolutely coming. But let's not rely on the government. We have to play our part. And I'm I'm a great believer in making sure we do that. And that's really important. So we don't just go, there's the technology, Mr. Consumer. You've got to now sort it out yourselves. We've got home chargers as well that we can install as well. I've got a home charger at home. And whenever I get home, I plug it in and away you go. You know, I plug it in at nighttime, a bit like my mobile phone. It charges overnight. I get back in the car in the morning and I'm off. We've got chargers at work, which people can use. So... We've got to help with the infrastructure. It's not just about the government.
1: You've literally just returned from an overseas trip, probably pleased about you know putting on the Aussie summer shorts. <laughs> um, can you give us a sense, because our, our listeners have a lot of thirst for this, what future kind of tech can you share with us that, that's in the pipeline that would excite them?
3: What I can say is uh, I can't talk too much about future cars. What I can say is our EX90 that we've just launched, it's two-way charging. And the plan really for us, and not only just us, but the plan for us and our products is that the, this is the, the, the future vision. The car becomes a battery that sits at the side of your house. So instead of a car just having a huge battery, which we charge, and we pull down from the grid every single day, the whole idea is that the technology is going to get that smart, that that car and that will be a battery that you could use for your house. So you pull down from the grid, you store the power in the battery of the car, And then the house uses the power from the battery rather than keep pulling from the grid. Now, if you've got solar panels on top of your house as well, then sooner or later, you can actually stop using the grid as much as you need to. Also, the technology is going to be that good that actually, if you really wanted to, at peak times, you can sell what's in your car battery back to the grid as well to cover some of your costs. So again, technology, and that's only two years away. That's not far away. So all of a sudden, we become less reliant on the grid and we become self-sufficient. And that's really where our technology will go. And the EX90 is the first example of that technology that's coming through to us.
0: That 2026, like we said, it's really, really not far away. So what are, what are some messages you'd like to uh, tell to would-be EV buyers? You know, now is the time, potentially?
3: People talk about the 2026 being a really bold decision. And what I will share with everybody and the listeners and and, and is this. You know, at the moment, uh, we've probably, well, Myself included, we've got two and a half thousand orders at the moment that we're trying to satisfy and products really hard because of semiconductors and loads of other issues that are going on globally. Yeah, I think if you add up all of the other manufacturers who are holding on to forward orders, I reckon the market already is quite advanced. So we're measuring the sales, we're not measuring the pipeline. And I think once you add in the pipeline, then obviously I think it's far greater than the current 2% that it's sitting at, at the moment. The plan is that, you know, the experts are telling us that there's 166,000 cars, EVs are going to be sold by 2026. And I think they've underplayed that given the momentum that's going on. What I would say to all EV buyers at the moment is that we're all manufacturers are just starting to get supply sorted out and also production sorted out. So by about middle of next year, we will be back on track with correct volume for supply. So my word to the consumers is Don't stop buying the future tech. It's great. It's exciting. Be patient with us as manufacturers because we're starting to get back into supply chains back to where they were pre-COVID. We will get there. And I'm pretty confident. We we plan to sell 20,000 cars by 2026, all electric. If you just look at some of our competitors, they are selling 16,000. Tesla will sell 16,000 plus this year. That shows you that our consumers are ready for the technology. And I'm really excited because what we're doing actually is giving our consumers more choice. At the moment, there's very little choice. So we're really going to give them great choice and great opportunities. So just be patient with us about production. It's coming. Try the cars. If, you, if you're a non-believer, go and test drive one. And I guarantee you that you will be a believer tomorrow. They are great fun to drive. It's brought excitement back into the cars. And it's brought excitement back into the industry. So, you know, I I love it. I can't wait.
1: It is one of the most ambitious climate plans in the car industry. Well done. And well done for being brave enough to accelerate it here in Australia too. Congratulations. And thank you for coming into the studio today to tell us more about it.
3: Pleasure. Thank you for having me.
0: Our meet and EVer this week is Laura Williams, who has a new BMW iX3, and she's one of my colleagues at Car Sales. Laura, thank you for joining us on the pod.
4: Ah, Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure.
0: You're so welcome. You are our prime target, a new EV owner.
4: I am. I am. I've um, recently joined the EV group about two months ago now, so it's a Bit of a change, that's for sure.
1: Mini Cooper before, but what prompted – this is quite a decent change. What prompted it? Come on.
4: <laughs> well, I um, had a – I've got a, a it that I got over lockdown and he didn't grow so much to be a standard size. He's a uh, – quite big. So having him in the convertible <laughs> was a little bit uh, impractical. So needed something with a bit of boot space.
0: It does feel like a real change of pace though. So a really cool little turbo it is, it is a pretty emotional vehicle. Do you still get that same buzz? You're, you're in a BMW now
4: that's super quiet. It's super quiet. Yeah, my partner calls it the um, Batmobile because it kind of <laughs> just sneaks up on you. So, <laughs> yeah, so coming from a bit of a louder turbo when you put your foot down on the accelerator to just a bit of a gliding sort of little hum in the air, that experience is totally different. It's less sort of in your face, I suppose.
0: Did you find you were just sort of flooring it initially? It's like <laughs>
4: in the mini you would have really been punching the pedal, right? <laughs> Yeah. At the start, it was really funny because there's two types of drive, I suppose. There's the normal drive in the BMW. And then the second one is that sort of eco drive. So it's that one pedal driving, which is, I've actually gotten really used to the one pedal driving. I actually enjoy it more and it's probably safer for everyone on the roads (laughs) because it sort of automatically stops itself.
0: I'm glad you talked about that, Laura, because a lot of people don't even know what one pedal driving, it sounds, you know, Quite foreign. So it's the car using that regenerative power. So it literally, you know, pulls on the brake as you come off the accelerator. So you don't have to use the brake. But, you know, it takes a while to get used to, doesn't it? You said you have, but I I think maybe if you can talk a little bit more layman terms to say, how does it feel underfoot?
4: Yeah, it's very awkward at the start because obviously you're sort of, your foot's reaching for the brake and it's, giving yourself a little bit of trust, but essentially it becomes sort of super easy. And the cool thing about it, I suppose, is every time the car's in that sort of brake position, it actually, the regeneration of the power goes back into the battery. So you can actually see if you're in traffic for a long time, you can actually see the power of your kilometers actually go up because when it's sitting there in traffic especially for city driving it's it's an amazing feature that sort of helps you get that a um, little bit further
1: hey Laura we often talk on the podcast about how the switch to EV means a bit of kind of life adaption what's been the biggest change how have you gone about that and and just you know compare it to life before with the with the mini Cooper
4: yeah, definitely. I'm not the biggest driver. I work from home remotely, so I'll probably go into the office one or two days a week. The charging part is something to get your head around. So there's no petrol stations. I, I keep giving my friends a bit of shit saying <laughs> uh, every time they fill up their cars, uh, <laughs> we're at the petrol station and I'm like, I don't even know what this place is anymore. Like, <laughs> Isn't it just where you buy chocolates these days? Yeah, exactly. Get some mints. Yeah. Um, I suppose planning for the trip. So if you are like heading down to the beach and understanding that, you know, it's probably a good idea to make sure the car's fully charged before you jump in. They've made it pretty simple, I've got to admit. So the BMW comes with an app which sort of helps you sort of plan your journeys and tells you where all the different charging stations are with BMW they've got a partnership with Chargebox so you get about 5 years worth of Chargebox station use which is completely free to be honest it's pretty simple once you get the hang of it, it took about 2 weeks and and you kind of yeah it just kind of becomes everyday mundane life you sound like a convert. Has this been a bit of a tipping point for your mates? You've
0: already talked about giving them some grief about filling up with petrol, but are you on the bandwagon now to get more of your mates to buy EVs?
4: Yeah, it's funny. I had um, a girlfriend's husband just bought a new car and he got an Audi. And um, and I'm like, oh, did you get the electric? She was like, no, he went... Um, yeah, he went petrol, and I just like, "Oh, okay, that's
0: interesting."
4: Oh, one of <laughs> those. <laughs> <laughs> that's all right; it's their own.
1: So obviously, BMW and Mini are kind of all in the in the same family under the same BMW umbrella. Does that mean you'll you'll stay kind of loyal to that, or, or are you open to the idea of Tesla or whatever else?
4: Yeah, uh, Tesla, it's a funny one. So we installed a Tesla charger um, at home, which is a little bit controversial, I suppose. (laughs) And if any of the guys at BMW are listening to this. (laughs) um, (laughs) Yeah, I I didn't actually even look at the Teslas. Personally, not a fan of Elon Musk. I find the Teslas just that little bit too futuristic for my liking. The nice thing about the iX3 is you're not really giving up, you know, the actual look, feel, and shape of a normal X3. It's completely um, the same sort of body style.
1: Laura, the amount of or the percentage of, of EVs that we sell in this country compared to petrol powered vehicles is, is quite small. Often it's people like you that are helping to kind of drive the change in thinking. What's the reaction been like to your switch among family and friends?
4: Yeah, I had a lot of mixed reactions. My mum's looking at getting a hybrid, as an example, because she's sort of at that point where she's not too sure about electric, going that full step ahead, I suppose. It's been a mixed mixed reaction. People think I'm a bit too forward thinking and others think it's a great thing because obviously for admissions and helping the planet.
0: Sounds like you're pretty chill and you're settled in. Laura, thank you for talking to us. You, you feel I feel like you've made it really easy for people to understand, which is great. So you're pretty chilled. You've gone from a little turbo to an iX3 and you're (laughs) happy. You're a convert.
4: Turtle convert, Mads.
1: Quick glance at some news from the past month. few things floating around and and some real Diversity here, Nadine, in terms of incoming product, lots of variety, and that's what Australia is is chasing. Can we start with LDV, first electric people mover for Australia? Now, it is on the expensive side. I'm not sure I like the design. I'm very sorry. But it is an alternative, <laughs> I think, to the Kia Carnival, isn't it?
0: And I think that's the thing. We're, we're getting more product alternatives. People want the choice. Yes, it's a bit pricey, over $100,000, but, you know, people have spent that before. The next new one that's coming to Australia next year is the BYD SEAL. So we've already seen the BYD 803 here, but this is the midsize sedan. It's been launched internationally and it's coming soon. This is what we see is going to be a rival to the Model 3. So Tesla, look at it, really could shake things up. It's got similar tech, similar sleek design. It actually looks Quite like a similar silhouette to the to the Model Three, and a reasonable price, due to be around the fifty eight thousand dollars mark plus on road costs.
1: What are we talking output there? I think two hundred and thirty kilowatts or 360 newton metres, a range of around 700 um, kilometres. And a little a little footnote to the story here, BYD actually celebrated not all that long ago the production of its three millionth NEV. And I know we rattle around lots of acronyms on this program. So new energy vehicle, that's pretty impressive, isn't it?
0: Yeah, I, th- I think the, the price point for BYD is going to be a really, really Big attractor for people here. I think it's something that we keep talking about. The prices need to come down, and BYD is filling that gap.
1: LDV first electric Ute in Australia. I think not perfect. Was your well before we came onto the show today? Not cheap, (laughs) Uh, but
0: not perfect, not cheap.
1: But it might open the doors here. We love our Utes in this country. Everyone knows that. Finally, an electric offering.
0: Absolutely. Let the floodgates open, I say. The, the electric ute will be a, a game changer for us and Sammy Childwood drove it and he's got a video and a full review online. So be sure to check that out.
1: To finish the news off, we've actually got a special report from our international correspondent, John Mahoney, who's been out testing the Audi Q8 e-tron, lucky bloke, and chatting with product marketing manager Carter Balkam.
3: I think you can probably hear the waves in the background gently lapping on a perfectly golden sandy beach. I'm actually here in Lanzarote, which is just off the north coast of Africa, for the new Audi Q8 e-tron. So once upon a time, Carter, a midlife tweak for a combustion-powered
2: vehicle, that was a bit of a dream for you, wasn't it? Was it difficult updating an existing model? I mean, how did you squeeze a bigger battery in, for example?
5: Well, we're using the same battery size, we're using the same number of cells even, but we are changing the content of the cells, so we're using a new cell chemistry inside the cells themselves. We're going from nickel-manganese-cobalt and yeah. switching to nickel-aluminum-cobalt. That is allowing us to pack more energy content in into the cells. Secondly, uh, the mechanical way that we pack the conductive material in the cells themselves, we're using a stacking technology instead of a winding technology that allows us to fill the cells 20% better than the outgoing battery. The electric motors, we updated those mostly with an eye on efficiency. They're, They're ASM engines, which means that they're inductive motors that have a lot of electric wire windings in the, in the motor. We increase the number of windings from 12 to 14, and that allows us to produce the same amount of torque as before, but with a lot less current consumption than before. So that really makes a difference at the low and medium speed areas on efficiency. And it's all got function in aerodynamics, isn't it, that sort of reduce the drag. So we've revised our air curtains in the, front, uh, in the front air dam. We've revised the air intakes in the front of the car for cooling. And all of that adds up to reducing our drag coefficient, for example, in our Sportback model, from 0.26 down to 0.24. And to think that you're doing that with an existing platform and getting this level of optimization is, uh, is, is really a home run for us.
1: There is definitely some cool new tech in that Q8 e Tron. They actually have been able to increase the range by over 40% in the entry level model, hitting up to 600 kilometres. Great work. Keep an eye on the Car Sales Electric Vehicle Hub to get more on this story. That's carsales.com.au forward slash electric.
0: It's time for some listener mail.
1: Listener
5: mailbox.
0: Our first mail is from Rachel. She says, Hey Nadine and Rusty, love listening to the pod. Excellent. Thank you. Well done, she said. What I want to know is when will electric vehicles stop looking like novelty cars? (laughs) Why do companies do that, she says? (laughs) Why can't they just look normal?
1: Rachel, well done. That's a great question. We actually had Ralph Shields on from Chrysler Jeep very recently. He is a, a long time very respected auto industry designer and he's actually agreed to come back on the podcast very soon so we can talk things like shape and styling of EVs with him and we'll put this whole design norm to him. We want to um you know we want the bulk of them to more or less move away from that almost bubble shape into into something cool.
0: Now we've got another one from Tony who's a little frustrated if, well, that's my read. He says, hi guys, enjoying the pod, but can you please get someone to talk about government policy, infrastructure, and other incentives? It's confusing, he says.
1: It is, and we literally had a production meeting on this just the other day, Tony. So well done. On paper, it might sound like a really bland topic, right, for a podcast. But you're not alone in the confusion. It, it does need clarity, and given the the buzz that government has around EVs, that we're actually pretty confident that we'll get. Uh, a decent representative from government to come on. And I, I think to counterbalance that, somebody from industry too. So it's it's real world, not just policy speak. But here is a little slice of a chat from our good mate, tour from Car Sales, who recently caught up with Polestar Australia MD, Samantha Johnson. Now, Polestar is making some really impressive EVs and would love to bring more of them down under. And while the rollout of infrastructure currently happening in this country is is really positive, the next steps, as Samantha suggests, are very important.
6: Um, So globally, most major economies have fuel efficiency standards in place that penalise manufacturers if they bring too many fossil fuel vehicles into the country. Australia doesn't have that in place, so it means that um, there's no penalty for bringing petrol and diesel cars into Australia. So we miss out on the EV supply because manufacturers are prioritising fossil fuels. So we really need to have those standards in place so that we're on a level playing field with the rest of the world and we get our equal share of EVs coming into Australia.
1: What would you say to uh, Energy Minister Chris Bowen? Your skates on, mate.
6: <laughs> well, I think Chris Bowen has been listening, and this electric, national electric vehicle strategy uh, consultation paper has been the greatest thing for Australia when it comes to how do we lower emissions for the transport sector because it's 18% of the emissions globally. You know, the sooner they can get this policy put into action, that will promote you know confidence with consumers and also have all the right supply policies, um, infrastructure policies for energy and charging that will really help push the way for um, EV ownership.
1: We've talked about future product very recently on this podcast, a, a topic that always comes up. And Volkswagen Group, in particular, are playing a starring role in so many ways with exciting electric vehicles heading to Australian roads in 2023 and beyond. So you've only got to look at VW ID4, ID5, Volkswagen Buzz, or Combi. And then there's Cupra, a lesser known brand to some people, but they are making big waves, a big impact in a short period of time on Aussie shores. On that note, we are delighted to welcome to What's Under the Bonnet, the director of Cupra Australia, Ben Wilkes. Welcome.
2: G'day. Thanks for having me.
1: It's great to uh, to chat with you. No secret that Aussies love a performance variant and are kind of mad for SUVs. So little wonder that Cooper is is causing a stir.
2: Yeah, absolutely. We're, we're, we're really excited about the response, actually. We've just just passed through 1,500 orders and we're we're close to a thousand vehicles delivered. So I had a quick look at some stats actually just before we got on here. And what's exciting from our point of view is the fact that the, the VZX models, so the, the 220 kilowatt plus cars, that club of vehicles are about 70% of what, of what we're selling. So exactly as you say, the sports performance and SUVs are absolutely what's working so far.
0: That's just no surprise. We, we, we really fully anticipated that and the market's embracing those performance variants and the look of Cupra as well. I mean, I, I think you, the design savvy people are, are really flocking to them. But Cooper has also announced that it's going to be all electric in Australia by 2030 and you're kicking off with Cupra Bourne. We want to hear more about Cupra Bourne.
2: Yeah, for sure. I and mean, we couldn't be more excited um, to have this car here. This this car, what we've always said with electri- electrification is that we wanted to be the brand that kept marrying fun, even in the age of, of electrification. We wanted to be able to bring those two things together. And, and the Bourne really succeeds. It's it's really a hot hatch in the best sense of the word. Rear wheel drive, uh, the 170 kilowatt boost model that will produce uh, 0 to 50 in 2.8 seconds. But much more important, we think, even than the straight line speed or the acceleration of this car, which is something that's relatively common for electric vehicles, is the the handling response—it's no coincidence that we're we're putting this car on race tracks as often as possible to let people just have a quick and keen feel of how exactly how this car responds. The, the steering is is, is um, so direct and so clear, and, and the rear-wheel drive chassis and the switchable ESP—all of these things add up to a really a fantastic drive. And we're sort of calling it the five plus five because it's an EV with a, a price tag starting with a five, and with range starting with a five as well. So. 500 kilometres plus of range, and at 59,990, we're pretty convinced that we're, we're bringing something quite special to the market, not just in terms of the, the the entry price, but also in terms of the range that's available for that price, which which obviously suits what we're doing here in Australia.
1: Ben, what excites you about new technology? And you can answer that in a couple of different ways, if you like, be it experiential aspects of, of driving the car, and the tech itself. What's happening now is the culmination, naturally, of a lot of hard work, but it does feel like we're, we're still you know, only a couple of rungs up a ladder with huge potential, doesn't it?
2: I think there's much more to give from the electric journey. But, I mean, what I would say to to answer the first part of your question, Rusty, is that what I love actually about the Bourne is it takes this this wonderful concept in motoring of a a hot hatch and marries it to an electric drivetrain for emissions-free running and for just a really stunning kind of modern performance that doesn't feel like you've had to change into a completely new high-tech world that you're not comfortable with. And for me, that's actually quite exciting that this is a... It's somehow futuristic and modern, but accessible at the same time, which I like. Coming to the, um, I mean, coming to the future, that the future is obviously quite bright for electrified models from Cooper. You, we've taken the unusual step of releasing our product program to the world because you know, Cooper is a brand that doesn't rely on its history. It's a brand that actually looks forward. Models like the um, the Cooper Tabascan, of course, will be a, an excellent uh, opportunity for Australia in years to come. A, a pure electric SUV based on the MEB platform. My personal favourite, at a car that I think will just be such an amazing thing for Australian consumers and such a kind of game changer, is the Urban Rebel. You know, this is bringing electromobility into a new size segment, but still you know, fantastically fun to drive, great to look at, really modern and interesting. New materials, new treatments. I think this is, um, you know, this is this is where we're headed.
0: I think it's exciting you talk about you know, looking to the future because it feels like we have a conversation and almost the next day there's something newer and better. And talk to me about, not just about batteries, but sort of how do you see the Cupra brand evolving in terms to, you know, vehicle to grid, vehicle to home, the integration with the grid and so on. How How is that evolving for Cupra?
2: Yeah, this is a, I mean, this is a big story overall for, for anyone operating in the space of electrification. So I think this is the most interesting debate for us as a country starting to get, the type of legislation and, and, and what we need in terms of building standards, in terms of all these all these related infrastructures that need to now come in. The first great steps have happened, and you know that legislation that was recently passed at a federal level, together with the supportive legislation in each of the states that are doing so, that stuff makes enough of a difference that we actually start to you know, we, we can start to wake up and, and get some things done. We're not now we're not down debating the first two percent. We're actually going into the meaty stuff now, which is exactly this. You know, the opportunity for vehicle to grid technology opportunity to completely revolutionize how we um how we store and use our power during the day and i mean we we clearly we clearly need to be working on that stuff and it, for me now apart from cooper but just as a citizen it is such a great thing that we've, we've we've progressed the debate past where we were into okay now we're really doing something with electrification what's the next stage now how do we get the next stage done
1: Cooper launched, as you detailed at the beginning, there a performance focus, potentially a, a, a youthful market feel or, or, or offering. What can we expect to see from Cooper as the electric vehicle family expands? You touched on a couple of models before, but more broadly, what uh, what can we look forward to?
2: Our next um, and our, our final car with any petrol engine design will be the Cooper Terramar. Uh, obviously, the Cooper Born is next, and you've seen um, you've seen the Tabasco. As a as a new SUV, so that's a that, that's a proposition for us um, coming towards sort of 24 25. We've we've got these plug in hybrid models on offer as well in the Leon and the 4 Mentor. Now, there's a, in the electrification world, there tends to be two kind of schools of thought about that. Some people are pure EV only, and there's some people who support this kind of transitory notion of a, of, of a plug in hybrid. I, I actually think that there's a that there's a really good opportunity here for people that want to change that want to take that step into electrification that want to maybe use their car. All week in a pure electric mode. Like my, my commute, for example, typically of most Australians, is less than 13Ks a, a day. And that means I can drive in electric and charge with a, a basic 240 charger and, and, and run electric all the time. And I can go and see my family down in Schumet on the weekend and use petrol power to do it. I think it's a really it's a really great first step. And you know, we've got to consider different alternatives because people will want to move a different pace on this. And I think it's quite sensible the approach that the government's taken with legislation on those cars as well. They've acknowledge them as a transitory step so we'll have that um we'll have the we'll have the tax advantages the fbt advantages applied to those cars but with a with a with a sunset uh, on that and i think that's a pragmatic approach
1: i know it wasn't a win but there's obviously some great stuff in the pipeline ben congratulations to you and all of the team for being finalists in the car sales car of the year very recently too i, I guess given the, the infancy is not the right word but you know what i'm saying here that's actually pretty impressive all, all things considered
2: yeah I'm going to say we were really um we we're really uh, pleased with that and and this that's been a without sounding boastful it's been a consistent response to Cooper a, 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 around the world uh, in terms of the the release of those first vehicles I think we've amassed sort of more than more than 75 awards globally um, for, for those cars and to be able to uh, have that award in a, in a really competitive market here like Australia is fantastic and also to know that our you know a, a petrol powered vehicle actually sits among you know quite a lot of Electric vehicles is also. I think that's quite telling for the for the progressive nature of the brand and the and, and the quality of the product overall.
0: Yes, yeah, so I was part of that uh, judging panel and had the privilege of uh, fanging the uh, fermenter around a little bit, so I can attest to the uh, the lively nature of the Cooper is certainly alive and well. Um, I think you've entered the market in a in a fantastic way. It's a, a relatively new brand for you know people talking about it, but you've got the um, the bones underneath. You know the, the trusted. Volkswagen family group. So, what are you hearing from buyers? What is it about that Cooper DNA? You know, what are people taking away? What is it has you know, like you said, you've had a lot of interest. What is it that they're really looking for?
2: I actually think it's just this. It's the sense with the Cupra brand of being prepared to actually genuinely do something different. Um, you know, we're, we're not we're not that conservative. We're, we're, we're fortunate that exactly as you say, we've got a we've got a drive line that is um, you know celebrated as. Probably one of the best platforms in the world. Underneath, underneath, but from a from a design point of view, we are actually doing something different. And I think this is a this is still the, the you know the world coming out of its hibernation in, in COVID and people saying like let's let's have a bit of fun while we've got some time here. And, th- and that's I- exactly what you can achieve with this car. It does look different. It does it does catch people's eye. I, I just I'd never tire of the fact that every time I'm, I'm stopping uh, to get a meal mm-hmm. or in a service station, which I won't have to do in the Bourne, of course. Um, but anytime I, I pull the car over, I just I have conversations with people who are just struck by this, um, you know, by particularly the the Forementor. Of course, it's the it's certainly quite out there, but the Born as well in terms of its styling, they're really they're very striking. I love that link also to Barcelona and you know the the, the passion of, um, of of design from that country. You know, we, in, in Australia we we absolutely and and for many good reasons celebrate German cars, but. It's quite to me quite exciting to have the um, the underpinnings of a German car and the and the design flair and the 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 excitement of a of one from Spain.
1: Yesterday was Christmas Day, but with the news of the born arrival in recent weeks, kind of the Christmas presents came early for you guys. Thank you very much for talking to us and all the very best for the new year in twenty twenty three.
2: Yeah, brilliant. Thanks, Rusty, and thanks, Nadine. Very much appreciate it.
1: We're nearly out of time on this one
2: never out
0: of oh,
1: charge on this show. How is that though.
0: possible? I oh, know.
1: Uh, yeah, <laughs> we, we, We've jammed a lot in today. Hopefully there's a little snapshot there of things to get excited about. And of course, here at carsales.com.au, our team of investigative gurus will be always keen to let you know what is happening in the marketplace in this regard. And the next episode of the show, Nadine, talks about something that's... Um, we need to make a bit of noise about don't we yeah
0: or not <laughs> the next one's about <laughs> about design and when we talk about ev design it's not just how they look though it's how they sound that is a, a really big market in itself understanding what that what that landscape is going to be like in you know five or ten years when we don't have engines it's funny i was thinking the other day on a monday morning the uh, rubbish trucks wake me up early early on a monday morning can't wait for them to be electric
1: we did have ralph shields on the program very recently uh, who was superb he's going to rejoin us so keep a keep an ear out for that um highly appropriate that we say to all of you a little belatedly because we're releasing this on boxing day merry christmas to you and your families thank you very much uh for listening to us for coming on the ride with us and all the very best for 2023
0: absolutely safe and silent travels everybody
4: Listener Production.